One of the best things about being a pastor is I get to come up here and speak to you. One of the worst things is I have to do it right after I'm listening and worshiping because sometimes I'm just like crushed down there and not prepared. And I realize, oh, I got to get up there. It's my turn. And uh, so just want you to know that we worship in spirit and in truth. We don't just do this as a game or as a production or as a show, but I'm here to learn just as you're here to learn. I'm here to worship just as you're here to worship. And today we're going to look at a passage that is very familiar, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. One verse, usually I do five or six or ten verses at a time. Today it's one verse, a very familiar verse, and I'm not here to instruct you. A lot of times I'm here to instruct you, but today I'm here to remind us of this verse. This is a very familiar verse, one that we all know, and uh, If you recall Mark Twain and uh, all of his great sayings, one of the sayings that I quote so often is he would say, and he was not a follower of Christ, but he did know his Bible, and he said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. In other words, this is a very easy and understandable verse, but not so easy or understandable to do. Let me read it. It only takes about 20 seconds. Verse 12 of Matthew 7. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What is this called? Does anybody know what this verse is referred to? The golden rule. This is called the golden rule. Now, if you look up in your dictionary or online, you'll never find the golden rule, those words, in the Bible. So don't look up golden rule. It's not in the Bible. The word gold is and rule is, and I'm sure does in the Bible, but not the word the gold. And the reason is, is because it wasn't named this for over 200 years. In the third century, one of the Roman emperors had heard of this verse and put it on his wall in gold. His name was Emperor Alexander, 222 AD, and he put it on his wall and it became known as the golden rule. Pretty simple, not too hard to understand. It has nothing to do with gold, nothing even to do with the rule. It has to do with what Christ taught us to do. And today I'm going to look at four things about this, all of which you know. So you're going to go, when you walk out of here, you go, I don't think I learned anything today, except maybe about Alexander. I didn't learn anything, but today is not about learning, today's about doing. Today's about practice, today's about understanding and taking what we know and doing it. So it's interesting, before I get to the four thoughts, let's just read it again. And what are the first six letters in the English Standard Version? It says, so what? So what? Now I know that's slang and Jesus would never say, so what? But if you've ever taken a public speaking class in college or high school or Toastmasters or anything else, they always tell you when you speak, there has to be a so what at the end of your talk. Like you can't just talk and then be done. You got to talk and there's got to be some application, something where you go, so what? So what about what I just said are we going to do about it? And that's important. That's, I do this, it's called application. It's called following in God's word. I do it every week. There's a so what. And Jesus is saying, so what? So what to what? He's saying, so what to his sermon? 
He's just talked for hours and hours. We can read the sermon, as I said earlier in the study, earlier this summer. We can read it in probably 20 minutes. But he spoke for hours, we believe, because he started with a few disciples, maybe as many as 70, and ended up, we'll find out in two weeks when we finish this, with a lot of people there, many hundreds, if not more, a huge crowd. So for them to get up that mountain and to sit down and begin hearing, Jesus spoke a long time. We have all the snippets of what he said, but he spoke a long time. And now he's saying, so what? It's important to know that he put it there. Then he said at the end of this little ditty about do unto others as you want them to do unto you, he said, for it is the result of the law and the prophets. So he has placed two things at the end, bookending this golden rule. So what? It's the result of the law and the prophets. Why did he say that? Because what he said, all this stuff about being humble and being merciful and being mournful, the Beatitudes, remember we did that about two months ago, and then he talked about your salt and your light and your city on a hill and all your lamp on a lampstand and all that we talked about. Then we talked about how to pray and how to live and how to treasure and how to fast and how to not judge people and how not to be angry and how not to worry, all those things, right? We talked about all that. And now he says, so what? And the answer to the so what is this. And in a moment, I'll talk about the law and the prophets, but the answer is the so what. So let's go over four things today on the so what. Can we do that? Number one, we are to be concerned for our neighbor's best interests. The so what here is, do unto others as you would have them to do unto Who are these others? These others are described by Christ and by Paul and by the entire New Testament and even Moses at times as your neighbor. So the big question is, who is your neighbor? The short answer is anyone you come in contact with. Your neighbor is not the person adjacent to you. You are not just my neighbors because it would be very easy for me to just go, yeah, I'll I'll do to you as you do to me because I love you, I know you, we've raised our children together, we've worked together, we've been in serving together, we've been in Bible studies together. Of course I love you, I'll do to you, you do to me, we're, we're good. That's good because a lot of churches don't even do that. But the other is the other people are not just you and me in this church. It's not just about that. So it's so easy for us, number one, under, under number one, I'm going to give you three thoughts under number one. First of all, it's so easy for us not to do it because the golden rule is very much like John 3.16. Can you quote John 3.16? Yeah, we can quote it, for God so loved the world. But how many of us really go after that? Well, not too often, but we know it. Let me give you another one, Psalm 23. Do you know the first verse of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, the other day, two weeks ago, I asked how many of us worry, and 75, 80% of us raised our hand, but we all know Psalm 23, verse 1, that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a statement of fact. The Lord is my shepherd, we will not want, and yet we worry. Why? Because we don't really believe what we quote. 
Do you see that? So for you to say, I know the golden rule, doesn't mean too much to me. We all know the golden rule. We all know Psalm 23. We all, at least in church world, know John 3.16. And everybody else at least knows about it because in the end zones of football stadiums is John 3.16. So they may not know the verse, but they've heard of the John 3.16. But are we practicing these things? And let me just say that we need to practice it. And who do we practice it on is our neighbor. Now, another part of having our neighbor's best interest at heart is we need to put ourselves in their shoes. Now, this is hard. You need to put yourself in your neighbor's shoes. Now, it's easy for me to put my feet, well, it's not easy because I have big feet, but assuming my feet were smaller, I was buying shoes for my son yesterday. We were buying shoes and realized there's not one store in the mall that I can buy a shoe in. It is the reality, I have to buy them online, so I'm not going into your shoes. But assuming I could go into your shoes metaphorically, it would be easy. I love you, I know you, but have we ever put ourselves in someone else's shoes? So think of today's society. Think of the neighbor who's not a believer. Think of the neighbor who doesn't believe the way you believe. Think of someone who has a personal lifestyle that is different than what we would think is a good and godly lifestyle. Do you have that person in mind? Now go in their shoes. You see, I grew up with four grandparents that were believers, a mom and dad who were believers. My wife grew up with a family of believers. She's a believer, we're believers. We raised our kids to be believers. We have grandchildren. We live in this ecosystem of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Not saying that everyone's perfect or everyone's done it right or everyone's doing it exactly the way you should, but there's an ecosystem right here. Okay, this is my ecosystem, I get it, but I can put my feet in everybody's shoes here because I get the ecosystem, but my neighbor is over here who had none of that and lives a whole different lifestyle. And what we do as believers many times is point the finger at them and going, they're not doing what they should do. They're not living the way they should live. Well, hello, they're not believers. They sin. I mean, if we know anything in the Bible, we are sinners, right? And if they're not in the ecosystem and they don't understand the gospel and understand these things, they're just gonna sin and they're gonna do what they're gonna do. And we're told that we need to do something with them, is to treat them as we would wanna be treated. Now, what we do instead is many times we point the finger at them, and boy, we don't like that. Why? Because we don't like the lifestyle they're living. Well, again, they are living the lifestyle that they have grown up with or that they're learning or they just have, and it's gotten worse because of social media and television and Netflix and all the rest. So this, this, uh, the aberrant lifestyle of many people is just becoming normal or normalized, I should say. And what are we to do? And I'll tell you what we're gonna do more than that, but at least we gotta put our feet in their shoes. You've gotta understand, as opposed to starting out with condemnation, we gotta start out with empathy and understand, of course, you know, they don't know. And why do they do that? Well, they just do that. 
because that's what sinners do. They do that, and yet we, we label people, and we label ourselves, and we're this, and they're that, and it's them and us, and it's them versus us, and us versus them, and God's calling us to put our feet in their shoes. Now, we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. Now, here's the, another corollary as we want their best interest, and I'll talk about what their best interest is in a minute, is that the third part of this little, we need to do it, we need to put our shoes, put our feet in their shoes. And the third one is this, is that we should not do what we don't want others to do to us. So that's the opposite. Don't do what you don't want others to do. That is very important because when I go like this to people, right, then I'm basically saying, you do this to me. And all we've created is a big shouting match, a corporate shouting match, and that's not in the Bible. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Now, what's number two? So the first thing is have the best interest in people because we are told, and we'll come to this, to love our neighbor as ourself. You're supposed to love everyone. Now, it's, again, it's easy for me to love you. Let me just give a, a total sidebar. So last night, yesterday afternoon, we had a rainstorm, an unexpected rainstorm. One of our uh, members' sons, who's 26 years old, he was in the passenger side, uh, his driver, the driver of the car, went through the stop sign, stopped, went through it, lost control, hit a tree, and this kid's unconscious. He's 26, he's not a kid, he's unconscious in the hospital at four o'clock, five o'clock yesterday afternoon, okay? Father, mother, members of our church. What happened there? Within 20 minutes, one call was made to one of his group leaders. They called the entire group. Elizabeth and I were out doing some things. We get a text. It's now maybe six o'clock. The thing just occurred. By that time, all the people in the church that needed to be mobilized to help that family were mobilized. One hour, one hour. By the time I was able to reach this man, because he didn't return the call, because he didn't have my phone number, so he didn't return it for an hour. So it's now eight o'clock, he returned the call. He said, I have never seen anything like this. He said, we've got everything covered, everything we need, we're at the hospital. And thank God he's had three CAT scans since four o'clock yesterday afternoon, he's fine. I mean, he's bruised up and all the problems you have, hitting your head in the, you know, the front of a car and all the other things, but no brain damage, thank God, no leakage, all those things. So prayers, all of you have been praying. You're, you're, the, the, the group of people that are in his group have been praying. Do you see that? That's loving our neighbor, but we love our neighbor because he's lovely and she's lovely and so we love them, right? And we do everything we can. Yes, we're supposed to do that, but would we have done that to someone who we really don't know well? Would we have mobilized in such a way with, if somebody had called me and said, oh, you know, my neighbor's kid just crashed and, you know, would I have stopped everything I'm doing to make, would you have stopped, those of you who were in his group, stopped everything? Probably not. And I'm not indicting you, I'm just indicting the situation. We did it right with this guy, 
and his family and wife, are we going to do it right with others? Because we're supposed to love them. Now, I don't know if that kid's a Christian, not a Christian, if he's gay or straight or whatever. I have no idea. But I don't care because I love his mom and dad. I'm going to do anything it takes to get this kid fixed. Right? Because we love them. Right? Because we're called to treat others as we want to be treated. Because if my son that had happened to, I would want you to do that for me. Because I want to do to others what, you know, that's what it says, right? And you would do it for me. And that's so cool. But now number two, let me get over to my notes. We are to deal with people according to God's word. Now, okay, it's not just love for love's sake, but according to God's word. So what is according to God's word? There's two parts to this. Actually, the entire Bible is about this. Two major parts. One is in the New Testament, the so what in the New Testament. So Jesus said all these things in this kingdom sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And then he said, so what? And then the whole gospel takes place. We'll talk about the gospel in a minute. The whole gospel takes place. Jesus' life, his sermons, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all this incredible start of the church, all this stuff happens. What happens in that? As you read the scriptures in the New Testament, all through it, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Another corollary to do unto others as you want them to do unto you is to love your neighbor as yourself. You want your neighbor to know God because they have seen you love them like God would love them. And when that happens, amazing things happen. Now, in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, right? For this is the result of the law and prophets. What are the law and the prophets? Well, we can't go over all that in this short time, but the main one is in Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Have no other gods before me, right? Have no graven images, number two. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, number three. And remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's the first tablet, metaphorically, of the two tablets. The first tablet, which is our relationship to God. We are to have a relationship to God. Then it goes the other six. See if I can remember them. You think I could. You'll help me out if I don't. Honor your father and mother. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not lie. You should not commit adultery. And you should not covet your neighbor's things. I may have said two of them the opposite way, but you get the point. There is a time that we are to love our neighbor. And in loving our neighbor, we have shown them how God loves us. And so we just don't love helter-skelter. We love them the way God loved them. Now, this is interesting. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. You would think Paul, who was probably the most in-your-face kind of guy you could meet, right? He was just in your face. He just tell it like it is. He was preaching everywhere, and he didn't care if you had stones or you had swords or you beat him up, right? He would do it. Well, one of the worst people in Israel at the time was the king. His name was Agrippa. And do you remember at the end in Acts 26, what did Paul do in Acts 26? Paul gets in front of Agrippa, and he has the opportunity, he has the floor. Agrippa says, it's all yours. Tell us whatever you want to tell us. And do you know what he tells them? He tells them, his story. 
He tells them his story. He doesn't condemn the king for all the nasty things the king has done. And the king has done a lot of nasty things. He tells them his story. And in that story, he shares the gospel. He shares the whole story of Christ inside of his story, Paul's story. And he doesn't. And this is what happens at the end. It's an incredible set of verses. At the very end of 26, it's like a chapter and a half he talks. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Okay, verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe? Can you imagine? He's gone to the king, and he's saying, do you believe? He is sharing this. Do you believe? I know that you believe. He's, he's doing a positive close on this guy if you're in sales. It's called a positive close. I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? You see, he went, he told the whole Christian, the whole gospel story all at once, right in front of him. He's in a trial. And would you persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time? And this is Paul's great answer. And verse 29, and Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except my chains. In other words, I don't want you to be a prisoner. I want you to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, we've all read that. If you're a follower of Christ, you've read the book of Acts. What we miss in this is that he was sharing with Agrippa so that everybody in the room would hear the story. Now, whether Agrippa believed or not, we do believe, I mean, I use that word with a small b, that people came to faith that were in that room. This is a beautiful thing. I shared this with a few of you. A couple of weeks ago, I was with a man who's not a believer, and I wanted to share Christ with him, and I'm at lunch. And in walks a guy, a friend of mine who's a strong believer who knows the man and knows me, and he walks in, and he assesses the situation immediately that I want to share Christ with this guy. And you know what he does? He starts sharing Christ with me. My friend shares Christ with me and shares the whole gospel story in about three minutes, not for me, but for him to hear it. Do you see that? It was just an amazing thing. God has called us to do this in love. Now, I actually love this man very much, the man who was sitting in front of us. Elizabeth and I have prayed with him. We prayed with his wife, done all the things that I would do with you. We've shown love in, in, in their illness. We've shown love in their sickness. We've shown love in all the ways we can in, in terms of how we could and would and should. And yet he's not a follower of Christ. So there's two parts to this. You need to love people Okay, and have their best interest, but you need to do it as the Bible says. It needs to be sprinkled with the gospel. Let's go to number three. And this is a part of what I just said. The gospel, I'm sorry, the golden rule is not the gospel. The golden rule is not the gospel. We need to remember this. 
I heard Ron Howard. You know Ron Howard, Opie, and then he was in The Music Man, and then he's one of the best uh, producers and directors in Hollywood. He is such that everybody says he's the nicest guy in Hollywood. And so the interviewer was saying, tell me how you live. And he said, I live by the golden rule, which is I want others to treat, I'll treat them. I want everybody to treat everybody good. It's a good thing to live by. But he is no closer to Christ, at least from what I have seen, than this table is. And I'm not judging him. He, his belief is the golden rule. Can I tell you, our belief is not the golden rule. The golden rule is not the gospel. The golden rule is the result of the gospel. It's the result of what you do. It's the so what of what we do. It's not the what. The what is the gospel. It's the so what. Now that you have the gospel, now that you are a believer, so what are you going to do? Treat others as you want them to be treated. I have a good friend here, and many of you are Rotarians. You know what Rotary is, the Rotary Club? It's a great organization. I used to be in Rotary, but they had all these rules, and I couldn't make all the tines and everything. But they do incredible things. Everywhere we go around the world, we see the Rotary, that little symbol, the cog symbol, everywhere. Well, the Rotary has a uh, byline that they live by, and it's this. It's called the four-way test. My grandfather, my father, they were all Rotarians. It says, ask these four questions. Is it truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? That's the golden rule. Paul Harris, whoever wrote this, kind of just made it into four questions. These are fantastic rules to live by, but this is not the gospel. Please understand, it's not the gospel. It's what we do as a result of the gospel, or we're just being good people. And there are a lot of good people around, but there's a lot of good people that aren't believers. And God has called us to believe first. What is the gospel then? What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't know that passage, this is a passage to know. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. Okay, so he's going to tell us what the gospel is. I would remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand. And I would say all of us here who are followers of Christ would. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to that word. For I delivered to you that which was of first importance, which I also received. So here it is, colon, here it is, that Christ died for our sins. Let's strip it to the basics. Jesus Christ came to earth to live a perfect life. He was the only one who could be perfect, and he came to die for our sins. If I die for your sins, I'm a martyr. When Jesus died for my sins, he's my savior. You see the difference? I can die for your sins, and I would be a martyr, but that's not going to do anything. I mean, it might allow you to live a little longer, might allow you to move forward a little, but Jesus died for your sins because he was perfect. And it goes on, in accordance to the scriptures. So he is following what the Old Testament said. So he is the Christ of the New Testament, the Messiah of the Old Testament. 
You call him Jesus, you can call him Christ, you can call him the Messiah. It doesn't matter to me whether you like Greek, Latin, or Hebrew, that's your call. But he is the one that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And when he says, do you believe in this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, which means if you do, then you admit that you're a sinner. There are some people who don't admit that they are sinners because they say, they're the bad sinners, I'm not as bad as they are, so I'm really not a sinner. See, when you compare to other people, you probably are better than other people. I am better than John Newton of the Amazing Grace story. I'll just tell you, I'm better than he is. That means nothing. I am a sinner, he was a sinner. Why is this important? Let me just share it. Because today we've gotten totally out of whack on this thing. Because we are judging people by their sins and not loving them as God has called us to love them. So I have a lot of friends who are, who are not believers. They're non-believers, they're not just pretend believers, they are just not believers. And I go to them and I go, you know, I agree with you this much. And I tell them, I disagree with you this much. Who God is, the origin of the world, the need of sin, the need of a savior, I disagree with you. I am very open with that. But I do agree with you on these things. You want better schools? I want better schools. You want better roads? I want better roads. You want safer streets? I want safer streets. You want lower taxes? I want lower taxes, whatever the case may be. I agree with you. I disagree. What we have now done in this country is we've taken what we disagree with who we disagree with, and we argue, 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 argue. We point, 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 fight, 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 fight. And if anybody had a good fight, it was Paul against Agrippa. And he decided to go down here. He decided to go to his heart. He decided to go to the issues. And let me tell you, I don't think I'm gonna fight anybody into the kingdom. That's me. I don't think I'm smart enough, big enough, well-versed enough to fight anybody into the kingdom. But let me tell you, we can love people into the kingdom because God has called us to love only when we love as God loved us. God loves us, I love you, we all love each other, we love people out there because the other is not other believers, it's other people, both believers and non-believers. And I tell you, my friends, this is not a very popular thing today. The popular thing is to categorize people by certain beliefs or systems, and that we're all categorized like this. I remember a couple years ago, I made a comment that I was pro-life. Here, I'm pro-life. I'm not embarrassed about it. I believe in life. I believe life begins at conception. I, uh, I've, there's many of you, there's several of you in this room who are pregnant. You have a living being in you. It is a person who has personhood created by God. I believe that. I get out there and someone comes ripping mad at me and goes, you this, you this, you this, and they're pointing their finger and screaming and yelling at me, so much so that the guards came around me that we have stationed everywhere that you don't know they're here. They all came around me. And I said, it's okay, let her talk. And she 
talked and screamed and yelled. I said, did I say any one of those things? She said, no, but you're pro-life, so you must believe all these other things. I said, friend, I never said any one of those things. All I said is I'm pro-life. You see, we categorize people, and we put them there. But let me tell you, every single people, person needs Jesus. And I don't care what their orientation is, what their politics is, where their nation, national heritage is, whether they believe in high taxes or low taxes, or left or right or blue or red or pink or anything else, they need Jesus. And we have been called to be the takers of Jesus to people. And it seems like we in the last, and I'm not saying you in particular, but we as evangelicals in the United States of late have only want to take Jesus to the people who follow Jesus or follow the way I follow. And that's just not right. Take Jesus to everyone. And don't be embarrassed. We can have difference of opinion. I tell people, I tell my Muslim friends, I had a a Muslim friend come to me and goes, this is the truth. This is unbelievable. He comes to me and says, Bill, calls me Father Bill. Father Bill. I go, I'm not a father. I'm a pastor. But okay, I'm a father to five kids, but I'm not a father to everyone else. Father Bill, he goes, my kids don't want to follow in the faith. A Muslim, my kids don't want to follow in the faith. You see, secularism is chasing the Muslims as much as it is the Christians. He goes, how can you help me? No, it's the truth. I looked at him and I said, I will do anything to help you except that. I will not help your kids follow Islam because I don't agree with you. But I tell you what, if they're struggling in school, they're struggling with drugs, they're struggling with this, you need that, I am there to help you because I'm loving you like a brother and you're my neighbor. I'm just disagreeing with you in this level. Do you see that? See, you can disagree with people and not be disagreeable. You can disagree with people and love them. My gay friends, I love them. I love them. I hug them. I sit with them for coffee. I am not embarrassed to be seen with them. But they know that I don't believe in some of their lifestyle issues that they have chosen. But they know I love them. And I share Christ with them. And it turns out there are people in their lives who are sharing Christ with them. Let's share Christ with people, whatever. Whatever the thing is. Let's not be afraid to do it. I got off the subject. (laughs) Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Let us not be embarrassed of the gospel. And here's the thing, you go, but they'll never accept. But you know what? The person sitting next to them might. The person who's listening might. It is just amazing what could happen if we caught the vision of sharing the gospel while we are loving our neighbors as ourselves. You see, it's both, it's an and. Don't just share the gospel, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now our time is up, can I go to the fourth thing? And I just wanna go, what are we to do with this? Can I give you three thoughts on this? This is the to-do list, this is okay, I'm a teacher, gotta do something here. Gotta be, but we gotta do as well. Number one, easy. It's not easy, but it's obvious. Just do it. Do it. And don't be afraid to ask, seek, and knock 
to the Lord Jesus as you work with other people. At your workplace, in your condo, in your own family, maybe even in your own bedroom. You might have a non, someone that you're married to. Whatever. Share the gospel, but do it in love. Love your neighbor. Number two of that, let God be responsible for the results. I hear a lot of people, I see a lot of people that get upset and go, it's just nothing going to happen, nothing going to happen, nothing going to happen. Let's let God decide that. Let's just let God decide that. I remember there was a man, I think he may even be here today, a young man in his uh, early 30s, mid-30s maybe, and um, he came back to Christ here at the church about two years ago, and it was great, and got involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, isn't that great what our church did? Really got him back on the road and all the rest. And then his mom and dad came down from up north. He was working down here. His mom and dad come down, and they come to me and go, we've been praying for our son for 15 years. You see, who did the work? I think, I think the fruit dropped in our hands here because we were nice to him. We showed a little love to him. It was the heavy lifting of mom and dad praying for 15 years back home, right? So don't think when it happens that it's you, but don't also think when it doesn't happen it's you. Oh, I shared it wrong. I was, oh, you know, I was a little too hard. I wasn't hard enough. I didn't do it right. It doesn't matter. God's going to use you. And if you get totally frustrated, just pray God. And I do this with a lot of people. People go, I can't. I can't do anything with my son anymore. I can't do anything with my next door. I go, pray that God brings other people into their life. That'd be a great prayer. Pray that other people come into their lives and let them do the work. At least you're praying, you're trying. If you get frustrated, and then you'll get your energy back up and you go for it again. And then thirdly and lastly, have a humble spirit. Just show some humility. I think as we as believers, we do have the truth. We do have the way. We do know what is right. We do know what is wrong. But let's have a dose of humility. Let's go all the way back to blessed are the poor in spirit. We are to be humble in this whole process. And if we show humility to people, they're going to be attracted to it. You know, people are attracted to the proud and to the arrogant. No, I think maybe a little bit. But ultimately, show the humility of Christ. Here's the problem. People want Christ. People want Jesus, let's put it this way, without salvation. They want Jesus without living the way. So we're not here to sell the stories of Jesus, the walking on the water and the turning uh, water into wine. This is not the Jesus. What we're here is to talk about the Savior of the world. And that's what we need. Amen? So... You go, Bill, I didn't learn a thing today. You've said everything I know. Okay. I'm here to remind us, not instruct us. If you came here and you learned something, good, take it with you. But if you go, boy, that was the simplest thing, this is a reminder that what are you to do? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as God commanded us to love and realize loving them is not the gospel, it is the playing out of the gospel. 
When you love somebody, you are not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. You are playing out the gospel. You are living out the gospel. And then, for those who aren't doing any of this, go out and do it. And I think you'll be amazed at what God will do in your life. Let's pray together.